0: I wonder how Twitter does the swap over of POTUS. Do you think they have a cron job? POTUS to POTUS45 and swap all the accounts over? Or do you think it's one person,
1: like, editing them all? It's just POTUS increment one, right? (laughs) Or plus plus POTUS. POTUS. Into it. We got a bunch of stuff to talk about. All right, welcome to the FS Jam podcast, Chris. We're really happy to have you. I'm going to refer to the other Chris as bernsey in this episode, just so we don't get confused. I usually call Burnsy actual Chris, but now we got two Chris's here, so this might get a little nutty. But why don't you tell people kind of who you are, what you're working on. You are the CTO of EchoBind, so I'd love to hear a little bit about what EchoBind is and what stuff you guys are doing.
2: Ecobind started off as, so first of all, Ecobind is a consultancy and we help clients build web and mobile apps. Right now we're in a really big on the mobile side of that coin, but it flips back and forth. And so we do a lot of web, which is how we got into sort of this, the Jamstack and the full stack Jamstack. And we're kind of dispersed throughout the U.S. And from day one, we've always been remote. That kind of helped us when this whole Corona thing kicked off. So we have lots of different clients we work with. We work with a lot of healthcare companies. We are currently getting into a lot of food delivery apps, which is Really interesting. And what I like about what we do is we work from two person startups up to really large healthcare companies and large corporations. So it's just, it's nice to have not only different industries that you work with, but different sizes of companies and all of those types of things, because you kind of bring the learnings back to everyone else.
0: So, how many people work at
2: EchoBind? So, we are back to 20 at the moment. We're also hiring right now. So, we're in like a really, really nice period of growth kind of kicking off the year. Which has been both good and bad, great from a company standpoint, bad from like, I have a lot of time for open source standpoint, but it's really nice. And so we're, we're pretty developer heavy. We've gotten more into design in the past few years, but we started primarily as a developer focused agency. That's still the core of most of our team. And then we have some account strategists that sort of lead projects. And we also have some people running uh, operations. and things.
1: Do you have like a kind of developer advocate division or people doing content creation or outreach or any of that kind of stuff?
2: Indirectly. So that's an area. So with all of our, all of our folks, we um, give investment time. And so we don't work on client work the entire week, all week, up to eight hours, kind of a full day. Um, for some people, that's a dedicated day. For some people, that's kind of spread throughout the week. But it gives them a chance to level up their skills on a new tech they might have to work with or you know, do a spike for something that they're like, hey, I've always wondered if this is a good path to go or propose like differences in workflows and things like that. As you say
0: you're distributed across the country, it's a really interesting conversation and I've been working these out myself because we hired a developer who lives in LA and we are based in Britain, so so could you just scout over some of the development tools you use to keep your devs in sync?
2: Yeah, we have migrated from Slack to Discord. You know, a lot of open source communities are on Discord now and we decided to... A big one for us has always been kind of pairing. And so Screen Hero was great back in the day. Slack had calling for a little while that was a failed experiment because they brought Screen Hero. And that whole thing ended up way worse than anyone thought it would.
1: Have you tried Tuple?
2: So that's been on our list to try. But keeping a close eye on it for sure. The one thing that, that we haven't really figured out yet with that particular product is it's focused on pairing, but it's not focused on kind of the group pairing as far as I know. Like, I don't know if that's on the roadmap or not
1: one person to one person's screen so if like you're calling into someone like i need to see your screen that kind of thing
2: and really great for that but one one thing that is kind of nice that we like is we have audio channels set up in discord and you can just see people in them and so it's like you have some downtime you're like oh what's this person doing you just hop right in and so it's a little bit of a different workflow but i love all the tech i know a lot of the folks behind that product and it looks it looks really great
0: one of the actually interesting ones we use we've tried is Visual Codes Live Editor. Live Share. Live Share, that's it. That's mental if you've not tried that.
2: We have, yeah. It's it's great. We have a couple people that don't use VS Code that we keep trying to push to it, just because the tooling is so nice, and eventually Microsoft is going to take over everything. But that's that's been really solid as well.
0: So you use chat as Discord. I guess you use GitHub.
2: GitHub is a big one. Uh, Clubhouse is what we use for all of our kind of project management and running that whole workflow. So this is not the social clubhouse that's floating around at the moment. This is clubhouse.io, just to be clear.
0: The OG clubhouse. The OG
2: clubhouse, exactly. I, it's funny because like we'd, we've we used that now for a little while. And when I first heard people talking about this new clubhouse thing, I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> You're joining this community and it's for project management? I don't I don't understand it, but I don't know. I'm the old guy in the room, I guess. <laughs> My one
0: last question with that is: Do you have any Discord bots set up? Because this is a whole interesting thing about JavaScript—is Discord bots—is like there's thousands of them now.
2: Yeah. So here's here's the interesting thing about that: you don't know what they're doing with your data, and it's kind of one of those things where it's like it should be fine, but you don't. I mean, who knows, right? And most of those you give kind of here's you have full access to my server and listening to every message that's there and you know I'm not usually like the tin foil hat type but you don't know right and so we we definitely because it make discord does make it really nice to write bots yourself in javascript it's been a good a good sort of platform for that
1: you're saying that self-hosted discord is a startup idea <laughs> there
2: you go yeah i mean it'd be interesting to be able just to plug into almost like you know in heroku if you've seen that like the add-ons that people that you have there it's just like hey i want to add this thing and this thing and this thing but it's all sort of like your posted stuff that'd be interesting.
0: Three Discord bots we have is one called SESH.fyi.
1: I've used Sesh, yeah. We're using that in the React Podcast Discord. Ben has taught us a lot about how to use that.
0: To help do meetings. So you can say, uh like, do a meeting in two hours and people can click attend. Time zone bot, to obviously when you add someone, it tells you what time zone is. And also one called Yappy, the GitHub bot, that basically you attach to your read-only GitHub events and then it will produce like a changelog for you in Discord. It's an interesting one because Discord is not like enterprise work product, but it's slowly just be like, this is cooler than Slack now, slowly migrating everything over.
2: They did the smart thing, I think, where they allowed slack compatible webhooks. if a company just has a slap webhook, then you can kind of reuse it but if they don't and they have this deep slack integration it's like crap that doesn't work so now we have to write it <laughs> so that's that's been a little bit of a point of contention for us but we're figuring
1: it out interesting so they have to figure out how to get people to migrate from slack to discord because the fact that you guys did that is actually that's that's a little surprising to me because i have seen as you say a lot of developer communities using discord and a lot of open source projects using discord i don't see as many companies doing it they all still seem to have stuck with slack for the most part but i do think that could potentially change and the fact that you you all have done that i think is really interesting uh, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of like kind of like stuff chris before we get into like the bison chunk
2: you know i mean not really it's just it's just making sure that we're surfacing everything we do and so all of these things kind of send notifications to various channels and everybody's looped in.
0: No, it's it's just super interesting to sometimes know how organizations are managed when it comes to code, because that's one area that, you know, with remote work, everybody's like, yeah, we're remote working, but they never say how they're remote working or how well they're doing it, you know? Yeah, we're here to obviously speak about Bison and what Bison has been up to and how it is a unique I would say middle ground between Redwood JS and Blitz.js. We're going to have some spicy opinions for sure on things like Nexus so let's get into it. Where shall we start?
1: Well, before any of this let's first set the stage of what bison is because we have had you on the show you're here for our round table this is the first time you've really got a chance to just speak and kind of give the, the really the high level explanation of what bison is i've spent a lot of time telling everyone i can possibly get to listen to me about bison i think it is so cool and it is like, it's like just an awesome project and i've enjoyed just kind of poking around through the through the code base and trying to trying to wrap my mind around it i'm getting there slowly but surely so i've got i've got a bunch of questions but um, yeah, first, let's just say, like, what what is Bison? And then where did Bison come from?
2: So basically, what we wanted to do is give an ability to, like, you know, like you've seen a lot of boilerplate type projects. So first the first step in this is, like, generate me a new app in a way that I don't have to, like, think about a lot of things. But I think where we decided to, like, take it further than that, let's also think about CI and let's think about deployment and let's think about, like, it's not just, like, Let's start off a new project, but let's start off a new project with a lot of these things that like, everyone waits to think about. They're there. And so it's like you can deviate from them should you need to. But the idea is just to like, hey, here's, here's some good defaults that, that have been working for us along the way. So that's part of uh, what it is. You know, we said Jamstack in a box. It's full stack Jamstack in a box because we care about the database and the API side of things, as this podcast does. So we wanted to the – other, the other piece of this is sort of like how it came about. We've been thinking in this space for a while. I don't actually remember when we first started doing it, but essentially it's when we realized that, you know, Next by itself had API routes. So could we make, especially to start with as an experiment, could we take one of these sort of, like I mentioned, we work with people that are two person startups and there's a small, there's a certain level of potential risk that those clients could take on, provided that it's still a good decision to do. So it's not like, hey, we want to just try this crazy outlandish thing, but it's like, we've using, used our investment time and spiked some stuff out, and this seems like a very, very good path to go down. And this was before I even knew that you know, full stack Jamstack was even a term, because I don't think it was around really. But I had heard, it was kind of around the same time of, of Blitz and Redwood, I think most of those projects, both of those projects were announced like not terribly far apart from what I remember.
1: Yeah, just to give the the timeline real quick, Redwood was worked on kind of in the background, no paying attention to it from June 2019 to March 2020. And then March 2020 is when they like announced it, whereas Blitz was announced in February, but it was announced from ground zero and hadn't had any hadn't been built at all. So Redwood had been building for much longer. But if you saw the quote unquote big announcements of both of them, it seemed like Blitz came first. So it's a little bit of a confused history there. But that's that's the timeline.
2: Good to know. So, yeah, we we were kind of doing this background development too. And just like, you know, this is, we were trying to kind of like figure out what this space could look like. And we started doing a few applications with it and just sort of started evolving those pieces over time. We were trying to optimize for speed, was one thing. You know, we want to get able to get deliver something as quickly as we can that's still production ready and you can scale on and works really well. But where are some areas that we don't have to waste time on? So, when we talk about why nexus is in there as a default. We'll probably get more into that. But yeah, so that was one of the guiding lights, but then it was also hey, I see these other like things that seem to look like an overall community, similar but different takes on things. And so let's like get our opinions in that mix too, and whether or not anyone cares, like we'll see. But I think it's important especially in the earlier stages of communities to like let's get as many ideas around as we can and then start to converge on what makes the most sense. That was the real reason why it was like, you know what, let's actually just open source this thing and see what we can do.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And I'm really glad you did because I saw it when it was first announced, I think it was August when you kind of did the, the big release for it. And I wrote a blog post about it. We talked about this on the, the FSJM Roundtable episode. For me, what I found really interesting is that you're able to kind of separate the stack into categories that each of the three had an opinion on. Each of them, had an opinion on CSS, even if that was opinion was we don't have an opinion on CSS. <laughs> and then they each had an opinion on how do we do GraphQL or I don't do GraphQL. And then they each had an opinion on what's the database. They, they all picked Prisma, which I found really interesting. That ended up being the one kind of unifying layer I found between all of them. I think if Prisma was essentially the only, and then React. like React and Prisma are kind of the only main unifying things I think that runs throughout all of them everything else there's there's differences in the stack but like you say they're all a full stack but what i want to hone in is the ci stuff because this is something that was the first thing that that really i found interesting and that i found different that i wasn't able to fit into the stack that i'm talking about here How you had all the pieces of the stack but the ci stuff was a meta layer it wasn't the stack it was how the stack is actually being deployed And that's a whole different question at the end of the day. And so the fact that you had opinions on that and the others didn't was like, okay, this is actually a level of sophistication that the other ones aren't even close to. And that's why I found it really interesting. And hearing the history of it, it made sense that it was more so extracted than the other two. Because the other two, people always talk about whether a framework is abstracted out of a real thing or it's like thought up out of the the brain of some quote-unquote genius, you know, architect person. And so really Redwood and Blitz... They're both based on developers who've had real experience and like built real projects, but they are at the end of the day, things that just kind of got thought up and they're like, this is how I would want to structure this thing. Whereas it sounds like Bison was actually extracted from a real tool you were using to build real client projects. Do you think that's accurate?
2: Yeah. I mean, essentially we just, it's stuff that we had just put together manually, including how do we deploy the app and packaging that
1: up. So let's get into that. Is it GitHub Actions is how you do it? And it's like, A big yaml file that just kind of like is all the actual actions like that's just that's what it is right like at the at a base level
2: yeah and so i mean this wasn't even a thing before and typically in the past we'd use circle ci as kind of our go-to but even when we're doing react native apps we're now kind of using github actions and
1: and so would circle ci also be defined in like a yaml file is it also code
2: it's very much the same idea to where you have you know the circle ci config that has a yaml and the way that you kind of what you write in the YAML is going to be different for sure. But what's really beautiful about having it in GitHub is it's right alongside the code. As soon as you open up a pull request, you can see all of these things that are just there. By having the ability to do it with GitHub actions, it sort of allowed the app gets generated, the config's already there. As soon as you push the first branch from that repository, you should get tests running. And there might be some things that you need to still like address to make that work. But what's interesting, I think, is that Typically when you go to set up CI, at least from the apps that I've done previously, it's, it's always this thing of like, okay, we have to start the API, we have to start the, the front end, we have to like, especially thinking about end to end tests and like, how do you run those? And how do you deal with a database that's actually just a test database? There, there's all these ways you can approach it. And so just trying to, again, like take that question off the table of just, it's there. And if you want to change it, you can, but by default, like you don't have to go through that whole mess of figuring out like how the how the database works and like how you spin it up in memory and
1: yeah to me this is very connected to this whole idea of like infrastructure as code and that you can define your your infrastructure as just like artifacts within your in your code because this is the same idea except this is like ci as code to to a certain extent and the two are very intertwined because like the ci is like for the the infrastructure so it's like you're really thinking about the actual like steps that are required to to deploy not necessarily the assets that are the resources that are being deployed to so do you have any sort of like infrastructures code opinion in terms of, like Bison or the stuff you do, like do you use like Terraform or like cloud formation or like any of that kind of stuff?
2: We typically don't just because we try to keep complexity low as we can to start. Some of our larger clients have definitely used that type of stuff. But I think here, the thing was to, I mean, we're piggybacking on other GitHub actions as well. And so if you look at how we're deploying to Vercel or how we're deploying to Heroku and, you know, the other potential options, it's basically just if statements within that YAML that we just talked about that's saying like, If you chose this from kind of the wizard at the beginning, this is the action that's going to be your deploy action. And then as the app changes, it's like, well, that may not fit anymore. So now we might need to add like our own in there. Maybe we write our own GitHub action that eventually calls this thing or something like that. I don't think this was as in depth as, as just mentioned. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, I didn't think it was. That's why, that's why I was just curious because I don't think it's, it's necessary for, for every project, but. The, what I find interesting is that with something like CloudFormation, like you can define like a very very minimal stack. Like you can just say, I just want like an S three bucket and like that's it. And you can and you could have a CloudFormation template that's just like a couple dozen lines. And so I'm kind of like thinking of starting starting from there and like just building out more and more complex things from there because to me just like seems like just the smartest base to build from because it's mapped to actual real physical infrastructure somewhere in the world. And I think that's probably what makes all of this so confusing, is that so much of our stuff is getting deployed to the cloud. Like, what is the cloud? Where is your cloud? Your cloud is somewhere, whether you realize it or not. So you should probably know where it is, and how far away it is from you, and all of that stuff. And if your cloud is made up of a bunch of different things talking to each other on different parts of the world also. So all this stuff is just so important, and it's getting so hidden in all the layers of abstraction. So that's why I like the infrastructure as coax. It's like, here, I have... This bucket in this part of the world <laughs> like it's at least simple and declarative in a way that is physical and like it's a declarative way of declaring the reality.:
2: <laughs> Yeah, absolutely.
1: But yeah, anyway, you want to hop in here with anything, Bernsey? How far have I missed? Oh, uh, basically, we just lined up kind of what bison is, and we talked about all the CI kind of stuff. How much have you looked at bison, Bernsey?:
0: Quite a bit, but indirectly. I've used Nexus,
1: I've used Chakra, I've used Next, I've used uh, React Hook Forms. So you've used all the pieces that have made up Bison, but you haven't ever used Bison, is what you're saying? Yeah, no.
2: That brings up an interesting thing, actually. So we've had this internal discussion of, is this a Bison app, or is it just all this stuff that that you're already familiar with? Because it's, it's actually interesting that it changes the way you approach it. And we actually had some people on our team say, Well, i've never made a bison app i don't necessarily know i haven't had a chance to do this yet so i don't necessarily know what to do and it's like well you have used all the pieces or at least some of the pieces and so that gives you some kind of immediate comfort (laughs) and like there you know like reduces your learning curve basically
0: when you obviously use all these pieces do you abstract them pieces or do you just addition to them pieces for example with redwood and redwood forms they abstract over react hook forms i don't like that abstraction personally i like raw react hook form so i choose not to use that part. does bison abstract over or addition
2: the only thing i think that we we're trying to help with the configuration in like nexus and, and those things to where it's like i've spent more time than i care to admit getting that correct and so like that that aspect like more of like config and setup stuff yes but in terms of wrapping other libraries no and so the goal there is at the moment it's all generated like take react hook form for example if you run a generator in this project it's going to generate it with react hook form you know those are going to be the imports the actual like page that you that is rendered or the component is going to have the typical like react hook form stuff in it and if you ever want to change that you basically can you know remove it from the package json update your generator templates which are right in the project so you don't have to actually go like hunt down like what how's this thing going to go generate it's all right there in the root and that that's another area that i think is like been really really nice for us is the whole like i know a lot of people are doing generator pieces but talking about like bringing it to different teams and evolving it and that's an area that i think is is good too but i think it's important to not abstract too much I think there are certain things where like you hit the wall frequently and you get enough pain it's like okay this needs to be an abstraction (laughs) we need to not have people deal with it
0: why did you pick things like chakra over bootstrap or tailwind was it just a design choice in the agency or was it more that has everything we need at this stage
2: we were previously before moving to chakra using style components, basically doing a lot of what that provided us manually. And it was a question again of like, what's our kind of default? Like, what can we, what can we start with and then move, you know, from forward from there. And so being able to start similar idea with with why you would choose to use bootstrap, why you would choose to use tailwind, same idea of, we need a good base and we got, we need to build from that. And we don't need to write for every single project. Let's go make an input component. Because chances are that's going to look almost exactly the same every single time. We basically just picked what we had been using. And so will it be Chakra forever? No.
1: Chakra does have a focus on accessibility that I think is really cool. This is something that I don't see as much with um, other CSS frameworks. Like I don't think other CSS frameworks are necessarily worse at than anything else in this whole ecosystem. But I think in terms of like actually making it a priority and like baking it into the framework and the documentation, Chakra is one of the few that I've seen that has done that.
0: One of the things that I think is really under thought, under thought, under thought about is that, yeah, (laughs) when you come to picking something like Chakra or Tailwind, one of the things that is so different is Chakra gives you a button component that you can then customise. Tailwind gives you class names. You still need to build your own component. Then you need to pass props, type your props if you want to, do all of the accessibility on top of that, and then standardize it between multiple libraries. That's probably one of the big selling points of Chakra to me, personally, is my button component is already defined for me.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's that's a thing that you're just going to end up defining yourself. I don't know. It's, it's one of those things, It's a preference thing, right? Just like CSS in general is preference thing a lot of react developers like it but there's certainly multiple ways to go about it like I, i'm on the same page as you though, as a personal opinion
0: the thing that we're seeing with tailwind a lot i don't know if you see this with chakra as you're more in line with that a lot of the products that we see coming up right now you can instantly tell that tailwind like it's almost like you could instantly tell a bootstrap framework and now you can normally instantly tell a tailwind framework can you instantly tell Chakra off the top of your head?
2: They're actually kind of similar looking, which makes it hard. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think, I think so. I can't say I've actually like sat down and had that thought, but like, I feel like it it, ha- it definitely has a look.
1: I, feel, I have very strong opinions about this. To me, when people talk about, talk about this and saying all these websites look the same, that is from the eye of a developer, of a website designer you are a very special breed of person in this universe that represents like one percent of all people in the world when everyone else sees that website they see a normal looking website that has the information they want to see on that website (laughs) people don't go to websites to have aesthetic experiences they go to websites to get information or to complete a task if your website puts the information away as clean easy to understand, is in all the right places, makes sense, is familiar. Those are all good things. Those are great things for your site to have. Standardization is like, like look at our, our podcast website. Every transistor website looks the same. And that means every transistor website looks good.
2: No, it's a good point. I mean, especially if you're talking about zero to one of a product, should you waste time having a fully customized UI that looks like absolutely amazing like is that the biggest value for your users and the answer almost always is no if you have unlimited runway for that zero to one then maybe you could make that (laughs) that argument but generally speaking like especially when we're just scoping out projects it's like is that something we should focus on and if we just start with really good defaults and move forward from there then great. (laughs) another one we're looking at actually is base web so that's also in this conversation
1: yeah I have no idea what that is what is that
2: I had not heard of, and hopefully I'm not wrong on the history here, but it was abstracted out of Uber. I think Uber is kind of running part of the project along with some other companies. It's supposed to provide similar like, accessibility in mind there. It's a little bit less of a default look, I think, and it's a little bit more flexible. So the downsides of that are part of what we just talked about.
1: It says it's built on top of a CSS and JS engine.
2: That's one that we're just kind of looking at as well. Because there are some projects where if you have to significantly override what Chakra gives you out of the box, you're, ha- you're suddenly adding a bunch of CSS. And then it's like, well, you know, where do you draw the line? Maybe in some cases, it's better to start with less and build up from it. But generally speaking...
1: Yeah, I would definitely check this out because... Um prometheus came out of uber which has become like the de facto like monitoring tool for for a lot of people so there's like some really serious open sources has come out of out of uber so i'll be interested to to check that out they have a cool website but um yeah let's get into um the the graphql stuff here so this is a huge huge ecosystem of tools and things to choose from and we had talked about this a little bit on the roundtable episode you guys have nexus which is kind of like your server component and then you have Apollo client, which is the client component. So how did you evaluate those two tools against whoever else was available in the ecosystem?
2: Before we opted into Nexus, we actually had Apollo server and Apollo client, much like what I believe Redwood is doing, to where it's like you're defining those in like the typical fashion to where, you know, you're defining your schema and your resolvers in separate places typically, and a lot of times duplicating some code. And so the reason that we moved away from that specifically to Nexus is because we had already opted into Prisma. So that was step one. And now that we were in Prisma and had this really nice way of like querying things and operating on databases, which, you know, we, before that we had used type ORM. that's kind of a different discussion. But since we opted into Prisma, we decided to look at Nexus because one of the biggest things for example is you open up you know they call crud kind of crud endpoints when you open up your typical i need people to do crud operations here they made that a one-liner and what's interesting is you have hooks for authorization on each thing you have the ability to deeply query related records by default so you don't always want that but like as a like default step it's really nice so for example we've had times in the past where we're bike shedding on you know, how should we expose the the where clause? And like, if you're saying, find me all users where this person's company has a name sort of like this, to be able to open that up with one line as a default is really great. And then of course you have to remember admin permissions and make sure you're authorizing things and everything else on top of that. But as again, sort of like that guiding thing of how can we deliver value quicker? that was That was one of the reasons why. And the comfort was, should we ever need to migrate away from it, which people might want to do right away if they are you know, completely opposed to this, you get a generated schema that you can then just move into your Apollo schema and kind of, kind of go more the traditional route. It would require some code refactoring and moving some stuff around, but it's not like a terrible change should you need to kind of unwind it. But that was the main reasoning because we'd opted into Prisma and because it provided a lot out of the box that we could, again, in the same way we just said about Chakra, can we get some, some really good defaults that we didn't build on?
1: I would actually like to know why you went with Prisma over type ORM, because this is something that I hear when I talk to people who are not in JavaScript world. They're like, why doesn't JavaScript have any good ORMs? <laughs> and uh, Prisma seems to have been one that a lot of people in JavaScript have started to really, really love. But I do know a lot of people who've used type ORM, and I know some people who use SQLize, I know some people have used Bookshelf. So I do think the... Over the last couple of years, it has gotten a little bit better, but I'd be curious what your experience with TypeORM was and why you ended up moving away from it.
2: So I think TypeORM is a good project. So it's not that saying it's like, you should never use it by any means. It works well. I know it's built into Nest. It's works really well, so you can still use it. It's a little bit different. Like we like the schema first approach that Prisma had. Some of the ways that you just kind of query things worked out really well and I just like so part of it was a feel thing like the API to Prisma is just feels nice part of it was that I don't know it just it just felt like a slight departure into like we're we're making ourselves more class-based and more just it's with the shift being more kind of functional and smaller sort of services on the server side it it felt like sort of a less forward-thinking way to do it I don't want to say it was like outdated by any means because it's not But it just like in terms of general, general alignment. And then I don't remember the full specifics, but there, there are two, two other things that kind of stuck out in my mind. One being the fact that there was this huge gap of like version. I don't remember if it was version two or the next big version of type ORM and all the problems that they need to solve to get to that next version. The timeline seemed to be sort of indefinite. Like there's no, we don't know if they're going to actually go that route. And to be honest with you, I haven't looked in it in a number of months. And so I don't know if that's changed, but that was one of the things that's, that we said, you know, but in terms of like buying into something, you want the something to be updated and, you know, an active project that's moving along with everything else.
1: Yeah. Have some sort of forward momentum to it, even if it's not like we're going to be a, a whole new kind of ORM, at least like, you know, there's always things to improve and there's always like bugs to fix and there's always new features people want.
2: Totally. And for us, SQLize, the reason we didn't use that to start was because it did not have good TypeScript support at the time. So that's why we went to type ORM. Now I hear it does, but I don't have any other input on it yet.
1: Have <laughs> you heard of PostGraphile? I have heard of it. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. I just know like, that's another one I think is kind of like more like type ORM, but also really good for GraphQL too. I don't know. So It's almost I when I heard about it, I was like, conceptually, like, that sounds super interesting. But yeah, I don't know a single thing about it. <laughs> There's way too many tools to learn
2: (laughs) yeah they're like that and hasura and things where it's like they're they're taking the api layer sort of out of the equation a little bit i guess like conceptually it's almost like not overly different from some of the stuff that the blitz project is doing to where it's like we're sort of generating this thing for you and you're leveraging it even if you have no idea what it is kind of interesting
0: if the default platform to host on is Vercel, where would you and where do you normally provision databases from at this stage
2: it changes we've done them on heroku we've done them on DigitalOcean. i'd say those are our most common spots there's some stuff with connection pooling that doesn't work correctly on heroku i have no idea when that will, will be solved if ever and yeah i think that's usually the two platforms that we mainly use for data
1: and is it always postgres not mysql
2: always always Postgres, yeah. So we usually do Postgres and then add GraphQL on top of it. And Postgres, I mean, we've used just for years. I mean, way back back when a lot of uh, a lot of our people were Rails developers and companies kind of started around that type of stuff, and Postgres was just a nice default that we kind of learned from that. But you know, always exploring the other options, and it's just the tried and true. I don't know. I really like Postgres. Honestly, <laughs> it takes a lot to convince me not to use it. Certain projects, you know, you can argue that that it's a a serverless graph database is more appropriate, but most, most like typical projects, I would say it's, they're kind of relational for the most part. Anyway,
1: What about DynamoDB? You ever mess around with that at all?
2: Me personally, I haven't done much. So played around with it. I think I would, I know some people on our team have dove pretty deep (laughs) into the AWS. Yeah.
1: Yeah. DynamoDB is a whole, is a whole thing. But what's cool is, um, yeah, it's AWS's, so it has a very complicated history because they wrote a paper called the Dynamo Paper, and it was the database they built for Amazon's shopping cart. And so it has to be like, you know, ridiculously scalable. They had to like invent a whole new kind of database to do it. And after that paper was put out, Cassandra was created and was based on that paper and then when Amazon created the DynamoDB service, it was based on Cassandra's API. So it ended up being kind of levels of indirection between what we're using today is kind of like a version of Cassandra that was envisioned from the Dynamo paper that first came out, which is like super cool. But um, yeah, anyway, it's just like a key value store document database kind of kind of thing. But you can do a lot of stuff with like uh, foreign keys and stuff like that to like model it in a relational way. So if you're willing to kind of like spend a little time to figure out how it works and how to like use it you can get to do basically all the things you'd want to do with a a relational database but you would never ever have to worry about sharding it is kind of like that's kind of the promise
2: that's definitely on our list so we we use kind of an rfc process with everything that we do and so like here's bison as it stands today and here's some like workflow things that we do And, and anyone on the team with ideas like let's say that was one that you want to run with and i know that there are people on our team that want to run with that and so it's like we kind of propose that, talk through it, figure out like how we can adapt going forward because there's definitely some some great arguments.
0: It's interesting that you even have your own ESLint plugin.
2: Yeah, that one <laughs> that's going to become optional. Don't worry about that.
0: Would you say your ESLint is strict?
2: I don't know. I, I can't say that. I fe- it feels normal to me.
1: He, he wants it to be he's he, he doesn't want it to be optional he wants chris wants his frameworks to do he wants his frameworks to do everything for him if you have a framework that just made his project and he didn't have to do anything that would be his ideal universe
2: push a button i get an app yeah <laughs> I like it. i like it so i think where that's gonna go is like again like i don't want this thing there's a lot of people that are like don't tell me how my code should look and this and that but there's this whole other group that's like hey I don't know what a good config is and it would be nice to have some sort of default. And so I think it's going to be like, you know, I say optional, you can just delete it right now. It's not a big deal. But I do think having a like, hey, if you want the recommended config, we'll just generate it with the recommended config and then you can migrate away as needed.
0: ESlin is one of these tools that I feel like you kind of want it 100% in from the start or it's never going to take off because Say if you start dedicating halfway through a product to ESLint, you're probably going to spend a lot of time fixing a lot of errors that won't necessarily block you from, you know, getting to production, but then you can finally commit.
2: They certainly could block you from production if you want them to. People love that.
1: (laughs) All right. Is there anything else you want to say about Bison before we, we closed off here? Anything you want to say about EchoBind? Anything you want to promote or things you're excited for in the future?
2: Well, let's start with some of the stuff that we think we're going to do with it. One of the things being, you know, we have some open pull requests that are going to be adding. Hopefully by the time this is posted, they will not be open. But basically it's CLI to kind of help. If people start a project this way, how can you upgrade to some better ideas that have come since you started it? So basically an upgrade process it would be essentially one of the guiding things is to make almost like the amplify, but for lots of other things. And so just this whole, like we really want to improve that getting started wizard kind of thing of fitting any number of projects we create. So not everything uses this exact stack and we have to sort of change away from certain elements. And so being able to like, like you said, add in the, you know, dynamo DB is an option or any number of pieces. And you know, there's obviously a lot to that, but we want to, Make it so that you can pick and choose all the pieces and still generate the current state, but with those pieces. And so have as much done for you as we possibly can, including the CI and the deployment still. Um, but just kind of be more flexible.
0: When does your job post close for more developers? <laughs> you can plug your developer role, like fully plug it, like be our guest.
2: So uh, we need to hire, right now we have um, mostly senior roles open. We're definitely open to talking to people that are not a senior right now but i think the biggest needs for us right now definitely react native react node typescript these are all the things that we use we also have a designer post open and an account strategist to help kind of run projects and so for us like definitely would love to talk to anyone interested absolutely
0: where, where can they find that
2: so that's going to be on our, on our website or we use workable so ecobine.workable.com or just go to Echobind's website and at the very bottom, there's a link to them. Echobind.com, by the way, is the website. <laughs> and uh, yeah, love for people to apply.
1: Yeah, we'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes as well. So check that out for anyone who wants to get in touch or, or apply. I think it would be a very, very cool team to work for. So anyone who is looking for this, this type of role in terms of getting to be around great tech and good people who will, who will help you grow, I would definitely take a
2: look at it. Appreciate that. Yeah, if you if you don't want to work on the same project for years and you want exposure to lots of different industries and everything, it's a good it's a good place for sure.
0: And you get to work from home. You do. (laughs) Well, thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, Chris.
2: Absolutely, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one. create a six hour recording this time.